just so glad to have you here, and we want to take a few moments and focus on the word of the Lord as it comes to us in the book of Proverbs, and this is in chapter 30. If you've been here over the past several weeks, uh, you know that we've been in this chapter 30 and these sayings of Agur, A-G-U-R, and it seems like that he's caught up with this statement of numbers. There's three of this or four, there's three or four of, the, of this item and that item, and, and sometimes he just says, well, there's four of these things, there's four things that are like this, and they're, they're simply uh, illustrations of some principle that he is trying to get across. I personally think this last one, uh, which is in, begins in verse 29 of Proverbs 30, is the, is the most difficult one to sort of mine for wisdom. And it could well be that you might read these verses and you may have a very different uh, take on it or a different interpretation or application of this than what I do. As I said before, hey, that's quite all right and that's very possible um, because this is just a word picture. He talks about four animals. And you might look at those animals and you may, or you may look at that and, and hear some very different message than this message of, of the need for humility in your life. This is what I gleaned from it when I studied it and thought about it, was that it seemed like that these are examples, these animals, of kind of puffed up, braggadocious, prideful behavior um, of course, when it comes to animals, we say, well, that's their instinct, and it does seem to be, but then it seems to be our instinct, that if we have three prongs on our carrot rather than one prong on our, then we're, we're just kind of apt to get a little puffed up about that. If we have more money in the bank than the next guy, or we have a, a nicer car, or, or whatever, it's the same idea or the same principle that it seems like it comes back to on the bottom line. So that's the direction that I'm heading with this. Um, and I want to leave us with this thought, and that is that the opportunities that you have in your life, and they may come from how many dollar bills you have that you can stack up, or some resource that you have, may bring you an opportunity that nobody else has. Wonderful. That's wonderful. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But the opportunity, this is the lesson I want to weave through this if I can, that the opportunities that you have because of the gifts you are given should make you more humble, not more proud as a person. That somehow God would honor me with these opportunities. That somehow God would trust me with such resources. It shouldn't lead to bragging as much as to a, a very humbled uh, understanding that God is using your life and God has given you the equipment in your life so that he can use your life in a great way. And that's a, that's a very uh, awesome thing. I, I heard about these kids that were bragging and the one, the one kid said, uh, my dad, they're talking about their father. He said, my dad is so fast, he can shoot an arrow and run to the target. And he's there when the, tar when the arrow gets there. And the other kid said, well, my dad's so fast, he can fire a gun. And he runs over there, and he's there when the bullet hits. 
And the third kid said, my dad gets off at 5 o'clock, and he's home by 3.30. That's fast. Let me read verse 29. There are three things that are stately in their stride and four that move with stately bearing. A lion. Now, this, this first part, it seems quite harmless. The, the, the stateliness... Uh, in itself seems just like it's sort of a majestic idea. But as you read on in the passage and dig deeper, that's where I come to the idea that the stateliness becomes a strut and the strut becomes a boast. And that these animals that he picks, I mean, look at that a beautiful picture. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if a lion could brag, I'm sure this guy would say, Look at my beautiful wives that I have. These, these are my faithful companions, and, and they do kind of strut around with a very bold, regal, stately type of look to them. The next thing he says is a, a he-goat, a male goat, and I take it that it's the same idea. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I got them out of order here. But the goat is right there, and the idea, I take it that these things perhaps have in common is they're sort of a herd animal, they're sort of an animal that one male might be dominant over a number of females. Here's the strutting rooster that he talks about. The lion mighty among beasts, the strutting rooster, a he-goat, and, uh, and again, you know, you, you usually you, you have you know, a flock of chickens with one rooster, um, not only because of the biology, but just this is the nature of, of these kind of, of animals. The normal behavior is that, uh, that you have the king and a whole lot of queens in some of these. And then the fourth illustration he gives is a king with his army around him. And, uh, you know, uh, this could land anywhere in the world, but it could be a, a mask, or it, this could be applied to a whole lot of different situations where I feel like in my world I'm the king and I've got all these resources. They are my army. They are my, they're going to take my fight for me. They're going to uh, go out and do my bidding and so forth. And he says, um, I'm going to go on and read why it is that I come back to the idea of Pride being what it is that ties these things together. If you've played the fool and exalted yourself, so think of the lion with his pride, pride taken two ways perhaps, uh, the king with his army, where somehow or other I think because I'm in this position that I am, I'm greater than you. Now I'm exalting myself. If You've played the fool and exalted yourself or have planned evil. Clap your hand over your mouth. Don't, don't say that again. Don't do that. Don't think like that. Just when your tongue starts to boast or exalt yourself. For as churning the milk produces butter and twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. So this idea that he connects with the pride is that somehow that pride stirs up anger in somebody else. That's where I think 
this is all tied together. Uh, if you want to use the thought of leadership, the, the president with his army, the king with his army, the male lion with his females lying around him on the rock, and, and he's the leader. Uh, if you want to think of this in terms of leadership, uh, what I would summarize it is with the fact that leadership does have advantages. Those female lionesses can surround some big prey animal and take it down. Uh, the, the king of the beast could probably just strut up and have his fill. Uh, they've already done the work and, and he, he can just take advantage of it. There's a lot of advantages of power, of being the king with the army the rooster with the chicken yard. However, his warning, and I take this proverb as a warning, his warning is that with the advantages of any kind of leadership, no matter what, they, what it is, you could be a parent and you're the leader of your family, with leadership comes temptation. Temptation comes with any kind of advantage that you have, whether that advantage, as I say here, is the ownership popularity or money or power or you're just a carrot that's got three prongs and and somehow people look at you and say well you you've got something i don't have wonderful there's an advantage to that i'm sure that can come out in some way but whether it's whether it's a physical thing like like beauty or possessions or whether it's other issues with every advantage that life has or brings for you, there's temptation that comes. Okay? And one of those temptations, which I believe is the point of Agur in this proverb, one of those temptations is not only to exalt yourself, but to open your mouth to other people and say, look at me, I am exalted, and do a little bragging. So here's the four things that he mentions as the examples of that. Why does the lion, why does the rooster strut? Why does the lion walk with this regal gait that he's talking about here that makes it, makes it look stately? What is the body language saying in these kind of situations or these kind of statements. I put there in your sermon notes two different options or two different possibilities that I think are often blended together in our struts. There is often embedded in the strut the warning. I am king of the hill. I'm the king. You're just the army. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you when to fight. I'll tell you what to do. You're just the army. I'm the king. Don't try to step on my, don't try to get in my territory. I am the king. I am the rooster. This is my chicken run, my yard here. Okay, there's, there's a, a warning about territory that comes through with the stately strut, the stately stride that he talks about. Uh, I suppose that is unavoidable to a degree. There's, there's, there's a way in which that is 
just part of a turf and a responsibility at times. Those persons or I'll just say people, they have to stand up and say, hold it, this is the territory or the turf that I've been given to represent or to serve whatever this, back off a little or find your own place to, to you, find your own area of, of rule. Some of that is evident in the body language. However, I said it's a mixture. I think this same body language often combines not only to become a threat, but a boast. This is my army. Go find your own, man. This is my, this is my car. This is my money. This is, this is my stuff. Don't you wish you had something like this? And, and this is where the, the vantage becomes a temptation. It could be anything in which, in which the statement about turf becomes more of a taunt to someone else. And saying, oh, I bet you, you know, if those carrots could talk to each other, the carrot that had three carrots might well say to the, what, what did one of the kids say? You're really little. I'm, you're, you're really not that important. You only have one carrot. I, I have three carrots in, in my stalk. And so this easily blends together where there's a little bit of, of warning saying, this is, this is my area, don't trespass. But there's also a little bit of it that says, don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you had what I had? And therefore, as I say here in your sermon notes, this taunt or boast meant to provoke envy often provokes anger instead. I'm king of the hill on the one side, but on the other side, I hope you notice that I'm king of the hill. I hope you enjoy I hope you are watching me enviously because I would enjoy thinking that you are. And so here we got, here we go with, you know, all the scuffles that's part of the animal kingdom that we see all the time and watch all the time. The stately strut is partially a, a, a statement of turf but it's also partially something that gets this kind of response. It's meant to provoke envy, but you know, sometimes people murder out of envy. Sometimes people do horrible things because they started out envious, but then when they thought about it, they got mad that you were bragging or boasting or they felt somehow that you were, uh, you know, you were taunting in their face with your treasure, and they didn't handle that well. So they took you out. And this is what we see in the, in the animal kingdom. You know, they're fighting over territory, but there's mixed motives here. There's mixed stuff going on. And I, and I think this is why he follows this up by saying, sometimes you just need to clap your hand over your mouth because what comes out is going to be provocative. It's going to be 
Um, you, may, you might think of it as a bit of bragging, but it's inflammatory. To that other person, it may not come across just so easily. It might be a little more than they can handle, and so they'll fight back, or they'll take you down. Bragging produces conflict. He uses the term at the end of that chapter, stirring up anger. It produces strife. When you, when you are too stately in your stride, when your message is too pronounced that you're very proud about what you have and you hope that somebody envies you and what you have, you're stirring up something that you don't have to stir up. And so, Agor says, you know, it's like grabbing somebody by the nose and twisting. You're probably going to get a nosebleed out of it. Maybe you weren't sure if that was going to happen, but it'll happen. And people don't like it when, you know, you're, you're inciting, you're inflaming. And so that's why I, I put here, just stop it. He says, clap a hand over your mouth when you, when you feel that boast getting ready to come out. You, can, you, you don't have to strut. All right. The lesson, the proverb, the teaching, the application, I believe, is that God can use the harem the army, whatever kind of blessing that he pours out on your life, he can use it not just to, not to make somebody else mad because you're going around boasting about it. God can use it to, to bring to your life, it's, it's a huge and wonderful opportunity to bring into your life humility to figure out how you can display humility, you who would not have to, because you've got a whole harem at your disposal, a whole herd, a whole army. You, you, don't, you wouldn't have to be humble here. You could brag, and everybody would understand why. You have an army, and you're a king. Okay. How in that situation can I be humble? How in that situation can I not strut around but can I instead develop and display humility? This is an opportunity. That's why I say that these are opportunities that can lead to humility. Without the Lord, without the learning, without the wisdom, without the discipline, it'll be just the opposite. You're going to be like those two gazelles or whatever those animals were that were clashing heads. You're not going to be this humble. You're going to brag or boast, and somebody else is going to get ticked off, and that's next thing. There's going to be a fight on your hand, on the hand, or there's going to be a conflict of some way. There's going to be a great bit of turbulence. He says you're stirring up strife. But if you look at it and say, "Wow, how with an army around me and all of this at my disposal, and all of this uh, resource." How can I be humble? How can I learn to be humble? How can I learn not to be braggadocious? What a tremendous opportunity in your life.
This, I think, is the point that he's getting to, that he's trying to get at. Um, Whoever humbles himself, Jesus said. In other words, God is impressed by humility. And in fact, he says the more humble you are, the greater you are in his eyes, in his kingdom. Jesus said, do you want to be the greatest of all? Be like this little kid who's so humble. They don't, they don't brag because they, they don't see, they don't compare the kind of things that adults often compare. And in case you're wondering if that's an anomaly, um, he also said the opposite. You want to get God angry? You want him to have God against you and opposing you? Well, if you're proud, that's what you're going to find. God opposes the proud. God loves the humble. He opposes the proud. This is just life. This is just the scripture that I'm giving to you. This is, this is the point, I believe, that Agur is trying to get to. Think about this. It's sort of an This <laughs> I had to laugh when I read this. These four guys... They hadn't seen each other for many years. They, I think, had been in high school. It's a joke. They'd been in high school together, and they hadn't seen each other for many years. So they got together. They're in their mid-lives now. And, of course, they got to brag, you know, about what, how they've accomplished what they've done. And so they're sitting in a restaurant eating, and the first guy says, you, know, you, see that, you see that bank building over there? I'm going to buy that next year. The second guy, he says, you see that hotel that's beside that? I'm going to buy that next month. And the third guy says, well, look behind him at shopping mall. I'm going to buy that next week. And the fourth guy took a sip of coffee and said, I'm not selling. <laughs> you're, 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 your attitude about all this, humbled, humility is, is loved and honored by God. Pride is resisted and opposed by God. Think about that statement. This is in the book of James. God opposes the proud. I, I, I don't know what to say to that because it's, it's as plain as it can be. God opposes the proud. Okay, so what can I do to help myself not be like the strutting rooster or the, the goat or uh, lion that, that just makes his females sort of all line up in a row and he struts around and sort of uh, trying to display or brag over them? Um, what, what can I do? How can I, how can I think in my mind and heart to kind of keep myself away from that which becomes maybe a taunt to other people, um, a boast to other people, that doesn't stir up anger, where people can say, brother, sister, we rejoice in your blessings. We rejoice that you rejoice. And they don't feel that they have to be envious because nobody's trying to make them feel envious. But we can truly rejoice with one another. Um, I want to just mention several things. First one is this. I need to realize something. That the army over which God has made me king is not simply a result of my skill and labor. Perhaps I have put a lot of skill and labor. Perhaps the old he-goat has gone out here and patiently persuaded 
some of the does to join his herd. Perhaps uh, <clears throat> there has been a great deal of sweat and labor and, and, and blood and tears in the amassing of the resources that you have. I don't want to take that away from you. You know, people work very hard. People invest carefully. People spend many long hours and many um, plan and dream to avail themselves of resources. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm saying, if you see the little word simply, that no matter how hard you have worked, to build the army that is around you, of which you are now king. It's not simply your labor that, that brought it about. It's not simply your skill. I'm not saying it's not involved, but I'm saying it's more than that. It is not that alone. God has blessed you. you your labor would produce nothing apart from God. Your investments would bring nothing back apart from God's Blessing upon your investment. I, I've, always, uh, I've, I've always been brought to earth by this verse. This is in Romans chapter 3 verse 27. Paul says, where is boasting? Is it excluded? On what basis? Or as this one says, it, um, I, I put this in there, the fact of my own achievement. On what basis do I have no reason to boast? The first, the, the first part, the first line is saying, oh, on what basis are you able to boast? Before God, there is none. It is excluded. On what basis? All of the achievements and all the work and all of the... No. On the basis of your faith. In other words, you have what you have in the eyes of God. Because you trusted God. Oh, that doesn't mean you didn't work. It doesn't mean you didn't try. And it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you don't skimp and save and, and, and do many, many things to help yourself. That's all well and good. But in God's eyes, it's simply saying you still don't have any reason to boast. Because if he didn't bless what you did, you wouldn't have what you have. Period. So it's not simply my skill and my labor. And so I may have less of a strut in my strut if I keep that in mind. It's, it's, it's whatever the circumstances were that, that put the army around me, that put the business at my disposal, that put the resources, whatever it is, at my disposal. It wasn't just me. There were other factors, chief of which and foremost of which is God. And I need a, and, and this, is, this is especially talking about heaven, gaining heaven. If I make it into heaven, do you think I have a reason to, to strut and say, look what I did? Paul says, I don't think so. In fact, he says that kind of thinking is completely excluded. There, there, there will be none of that thinking that will accomplish anything. So, it's not simply my skill and labor, it's God's blessing. Got to remember that. Secondly, it's not simply God's blessing, but it's God's purpose. This, to me, starts to really drive this thing of the lion and the he-goat and the rooster uh, deep into my life. 
If you are president of the United States, you have an army around you. And he says, look at the king with his army around him. I mean, our, our army in this country, I, I don't even know, it's hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Every kind of weaponry imaginable. I mean, when you think of the president of the United States with the army and the armed forces and all of the, uh, all of the uh, firepower at his disposal, wow. That one man, as its commander-in-chief, in other words, all of these soldiers are there to do his bidding. And that is the oath they take uh, to, to serve their commander. You know, the, uh, I can't even imagine what the temptation could be, or I can't even imagine what it is that... Your, your, your wish is to command that army. This is your platform to be used as you see fit, as you choose. And you can change reality with your army. There's a lot of power in the, the king with his army. He can, he can change the landscape if he chooses. The army over which you are king is probably quite different than that. But still, it is your army. It is your platform. It is your herd, your harem. It might be a business that you have. It might be a job or a skill that, you, uh, that, that is very unique to you. Your army might be a bunch of pots and pans in your kitchen. And you say, what? Hey, they do whatever you tell them. They are under your sway. They are your resource. Your army might be a truck or your lawn or a rental property or some civic group that you're part of or your family in a sense that your children or your grandchildren, they'll just pretty much... They'll, 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 they would do something at your urging or your influence. And, and, and you're, you're like a lion with his pride. This is my pack. This is, this is my stuff. It could be, you know, your, your army could be dollar bills stacked up in a bank somewhere. You might say, well, David, you know, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm dirt poor and I really don't have anything about all I have going on in my life is just time. Well, guess what? Those minutes and those hours are the soldiers in your army. And you are a king of that army. It, it'll, it'll happen as you command. The point is, God did not give you this army just for you to strut. He gave you this army to be used for his glory, for his service. So that's why I'm saying there's a reason that you have the army around you that you have. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a choice made. Here's a verse that reminds us of this from the life of Joseph. I'm on my, I'll be soon, very soon done. But, but think about this. You know, Joseph had a lot he could have bragged about. I mean, talk about strutting around and... and and, and kind of showing off and, and making people uh, 
jealous. Joseph was, he says, look, God's, God's put me in charge of the whole place down here. I am the Lord of the ruler. I am the Lord of the household of Pharaoh. I'm the ruler of Egypt, man. Wow. That's the king with his army. But Joseph said, there's a purpose. There's a purpose here. This didn't just happen to me by chance. This isn't just uh, fate. Yes, I've done a lot of work. I've, you know, I've served a lot of people to get, I've shown responsibility. But God had a purpose and it was to use me. It was to involve me because I was the tool in God's hands. I'm here to help you now that this famine has come. This is what I'm saying. If you, if you remember that, it'll take the swagger out of your, your walk. Oh, I've done real well. I've succeeded. Okay. But that's because not only because God blessed you, but because God had a purpose for that. Or if I could add one more additional layer of thought to that, it was not only the fact, it is not only the fact that God has purpose for your life, but he expects something from you. That's why he gave you all these chickens, Mr. Rooster. That's why he gave you the army, if you're the king. Not just because he wants to use you, but he, he expects to use you. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I put, I, put these, uh, I put this phrase, in this, this phrase that expresses the, the, the purpose and the expectation in, in capital letters here. Paul says, look, God is able to make all grace to you. God can give you an army. God can, can put many resources in your hands. Okay, that's the blessing. But he does it so that having everything you need, you can be rich in every way. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, the, the, that's where I say the temptation comes along with the, with the, with the blessing, with the advantages. I can I be, I be made rich in every way. But it's so that I can be generous on every occasion. Now I'm, I'm hearing what God expects me to do. To, I, I, can, I can give to other people because God has made me rich in every way. It's, it's, just, it's, it's more than simply God's blessed me. Oh, wow. Because that in itself can be a source of, braggado- of bragging and boasting. God's blessings on our lives. But, but Paul is saying, well, well, what do you think? He just gives them to you because you're his favorite? Uh-uh. He gives them to you. He gives the lion his harem. Because there's a, not only a purpose, but then there's an expectation. And so, if that is upon my life, God's expectation is upon my life, I don't really need or I really have no reason to brag about it. It's all part of a bigger purpose. I'm, I'm just happen to be this, I'm playing this particular role at this particular time. But the glory is to God. So a question and a thought to close. If my blessings are actually God-given opportunities and resources, on what basis would they be a cause for pride for me? If God, has, if God put Joseph in Egypt in order to rescue his brothers later on, why, why could Joseph, how could Joseph possibly boast about it and say, well, <laughs> look at me? 
No, he had to say, look at God. Who would have known but God that this was coming? So it's not a basis for pride. And uh, this statement from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4, what makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast on it? Why do you brag about it? As if somehow you did not receive it, you created it. The implication, that last phrase is mine. You boast as if you did not receive it. In other words, somehow you conjured it up, you created it, and Paul says, foolish thinking. Here's my, here's the, the take I want to leave with you. The greater the opportunity, the more reason for humility, because it seems to me, and now using Joseph as an illustration, the greater opportunity that came my way, the more it proves that somebody else was pulling the strings here. Joseph could not possibly have imagined how much of an army he would have had around, put around him. And the twists and turns that made him the king of the army. Joseph couldn't have imagined that. So by the time he got there, sitting on top of the heap, he had to say to himself, it is impossible that this is something that I could have created for myself. It becomes more and more obvious that God has, has a purpose and an expectation for my life. And so the, the swagger or the strut really doesn't belong. Even if you are king with an army around you. Even if you are the lion with your pride uh, around you. There's a bigger purpose that should, keep us, that should enable us to stay humble. Oh, Father in heaven, bring to us the lesson of these beasts. Bring it deeply to our conscience so that we may be excited about the army at our disposal without ever thinking that this is of our own doing or ever falling for the temptation to brag and boast. And, and stride and strut over that army that you have put at our disposal. Let us just be humbly grateful and search and look excitedly for the purpose so that we can fulfill the